It's Wednesday, February 22nd, and this is Goodwill Talk Daily. Welcome back, everybody, to Goodwill Talk Daily. It's Ash Wednesday today, and I hope you're planning on being with us tonight at 6.30 in Montgomery for our Ash Wednesday worship service. It's going to be a beautiful time uh, with some prayer, some song. We're going to meet together at the Lord's table. You're going to hear the word proclaimed by Pastor Ken. It's really going to be a powerful night of worship. I encourage you to be there if you can. It's it's a it's a beautiful uh, time of togetherness. All of our mission churches come together in Montgomery for this one service. So even if you don't normally attend in Montgomery, I encourage you to come from New Paltz, from Beacon, from Port Jervis. Join us in Montgomery for this worship service. I, I'm pretty sure all of us mission church pastors are going to be there tonight. I know I'm planning on being there. And so if you can join us, please do for a wonderful night of worship and the imposition of ashes to follow. Well, we are heading in now to Isaiah chapter 22, and it's a it's a bleak prophecy, but against Jerusalem this time, which is a little shocking. We've been hearing all these other nations be condemned by God, and it could almost lead you to think God is just condemning the world. But no, no, he he there's a prophecy against his own people here. And it's a prophecy that is difficult because it messes with time. Um, it, it's a little bit confusing. You're going to hear names of people who lived during the time of Isaiah, but then you're going to hear him prophesy about events that won't happen for generations. There's a lot going on, but uh, Lord willing, there's something in here for us that will be encouraging. Remember, this isn't an in-depth study of Isaiah. There's a lot that we're leaving on the cutting room floor. We're going to hear the whole book read during our study. But I'm not going to have the time to do an in-depth study with you and and really look at every single piece of information. Instead, we're doing this devotionally. We're asking the Lord to speak to us, to encourage us, to lead us into the week, to remind us of things to be aware of in our own lives. So this is a devotional reading. I'm going to read through the entirety of this chapter. It's a little bit longer. It's 25 verses. Isaiah chapter 22. uh, And then I'll have a couple of thoughts at the end. Isaiah chapter 22 starting in verse 1. A prophecy against the valley of vision. What troubles you now, that you have all gone up on the roofs? You towns so full of commotion, you cities of tumult and revelry. Your slain were not killed by the sword, nor did they die in battle. All your leaders have fled together. They have been captured without using the bow. All you who were caught were taken prisoner together, having fled while the enemy was still far away. Therefore I said, turn away from me. Let me weep bitterly. Do not try to console me over the destruction of my people. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, has a day of tumult and trampling and terror in the valley of vision, a day of battering down walls and of crying out to the mountains. Elam takes up the quiver with her charioteers and horses, Kir uncovers the the shield. Your choicest valleys are full of chariots, and horsemen are posted at the city gates. The Lord stripped away the defenses of Judah, and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. You saw that the walls of the city of David were broken through in many places. You stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings in Jerusalem and tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to the one who made it, or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. 
the Lord, the Lord Almighty called you on that day to weep and to wail, to tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. But see, there's joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. The Lord Almighty has revealed this in my hearing. Till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says. Go, say to this steward, to Shebna, the palace administrator, what are you doing here? And Who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here, hewing your grave on the height and chiseling your resting place in the rock? Beware. The Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hurl you away, you mighty man. He'll roll you up tightly like a ball, throw you into a large country. There you will die, and there the chariots you were so proud of will become a disgrace to your master's house. I will depose you from your office, and you will be ousted from your position. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him, its offspring and the offshoots, all its lesser vessels, and the bowls to all the jars. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the peg driven into the firm place will give way. It will be sheared off and will fall and the load hanging on it will be cut down. The Lord has spoken. It's a little bit of a confusing prophecy because it most likely takes place over a long period of time. This first part of the chapter is a prophecy against Jerusalem for the ways it had turned itself away from God. There had been somebody who had taken an important position in the life of Israel, and they were abusing their power, and they were abusing their power for their own status, for their own wealth. So God was going to remove him, particularly because he seems to be relying on outside military might. These chariots are not something that come naturally out of Israel. This is probably going to refer back to what we saw earlier in the week, a, a, an improper relationship with Egypt and the need for their political power. And so he's saying, hey, this person who's in charge here, this man named Shebna, the palace administrator, I'm going to remove him. I'm going to cast him to another nation far away. And instead of him, I'm going to put my man in place. His name is Eliakim. And this is, in fact, the person who will rule as the palace administrator, kind of a prime minister type of a figure, under King Hezekiah. And this is the, the king that Isaiah spends most of his time prophesying during. Hezekiah is a good king. Eliakim is a good leader. And, and God says, I'm going to establish him like a tent peg pounded into the ground. No one's going to remove him. I place him there and all of my people will be able to stand because of his presence in the palace. That happens during Isaiah's day. But then a time comes and, and there's debate. Does Isaiah see something in the future or is this someone who in the future sees the fall of Judah coming and just attaches this final paragraph? It seems that it's not Isaiah, and here's why I say that. There's the repetition of in that day. In that day, in Isaiah's day, Eliakim would come. 
and he would establish and, and actually Jerusalem would have years of progress and good. Even though wicked kings will come, there will be another king named Josiah who will come and reform the nation yet again, similar to the way that Hezekiah did, but in an even greater way. Finally, they would be destroyed by the Babylonians. And it's during that time of decline that it seems somebody comes in and adds this paragraph to Isaiah's prophecy. Still God's word, God speaking through someone else that says, hey, that peg driven into the firm place, Eliakim, we remember what God said about him. Well, he's given way. And the load, the nation, the glory of the family hanging on him, that's going to be cut down. The people of Israel were trusting in who they were, not in who God was. It was their own heritage, their own past. We do the same thing. We, we can take our eye off the ball by saying, look at how God has blessed us in the past. And he has blessed us greatly here at Goodwill Church. We can rely on that. We can take our eye off the ball and we can forget that God is calling us to faithfulness now, not just to depend on past faithfulness, but to currently follow after him. There is no guarantee that Goodwill Church will make it to her 300th year anniversary in 2029. There is no guarantee that she would make it then another 300 years. No, we are called to be faithful today. Faithfulness today brings us closer to that celebration of 300 years. But if we rely on the last 200 something years of faithfulness and we take our eyes off the ball, then what if the Lord removes the candlestick from its place? There is no guarantee of our future. There is only faithfulness today. So brothers and sisters, do not look to the past as your glory, but today be faithful in the house of the Lord. God, help us to be faithful today. We thank you for the great history you've given us. But just as what happened in Isaiah's day, where Eliakim stood faithful, there came a day of faithlessness that led to exile. Would we remain steadfast like Eliakim? that we would not find ourselves under your judgment, but rather pleasing to you under your honor, under your glory. We want to be about you, not about just our past, but about our present, that our future might be bright. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me today. I hope to see you tonight, and I'll be back here again tomorrow for another episode of Goodwill Talk Daily.